All right, guys, welcome to episode 47. Episode 47, Hard Fast Fitness, brought to you by Team Amino Pure. Amino Pure Labs, APL, and Rejuvenate HRT, our clinical of choice. Today's episode is on insulin, and it's a podcast that has been requested by a lot of our athletes, coaches, friends, you name it. It's something that has been uh, quite requested, and I think is one of the topics most uh, misunderstood. So I think that we, I hope that we, we're going to be able, we're more able to answer all your questions, and um, we can take a better approach to keeping healthy. Just to give you guys a, a little bit of an update, I won't take too much of your time today. I want to definitely jump into the into the podcast. Um, we are basically bringing in Rifaximin uh, into Rejuvenate HRT. Tell Mr. Tom, tell tell Ms. Sarton, I think is that's how you pronounce it. Uh, I have a hard time with that word. Um, and that both of those uh, medications have been great sellers. I think we sold out today. Uh, within 10 hours, we sold out of a huge amount of of, uh, of tabs that we had for sale uh, in order for in order to keep uh, a lot of our athletes' um, health in, in check. So uh, we are bringing in Refaxman hasn't arrived yet. It will be in our facilities soon. Uh, that's basically to treat SIBO infections, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to have a a cohesive um, uh, synergistic approach for with functional micro. Uh, antimicrobials and uh, and or rifaximin um, to to help with some of these um, really bad SIBO cases that we're seeing. So that's going to be that. Uh, we also received modafinil. We have probably about uh, fifteen hundred to two thousand tabs left of modafinil. We've been selling a lot of those and metformin. We're we're selling a lot of those as well. So uh, whatever you guys need, let us know uh, if you're having issues with hormone replacement therapy, functional medicine, gut disorders bloating, whatever issues you guys are having, let us know. We're able to help you reach out to myself, Ron at rejuvenatehrt.com, DM us on rejuvenate underscore HRT on Instagram or Amino Pure Labs, team Amino Pure, team underscore Amino Pure. Uh, and then we'll, we will definitely be able to help you guys out. So without further ado, uh, I am bringing our clinical director, uh, Matt Cusano, back to discuss all things insulin. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We enjoyed it very, very much. Uh, and I think that is definitely going to help a lot of females trying to get bigger and bypassing a lot of the health issues that are uh, running high levels of high dosages of BED is going to cause. That being said, episode 47, yours truly, Matt Cusano, Harfax Fitness, Team Amino Pure, and we're on. Hi guys, welcome to episode 47, episode 47, Harfax Fitness brought to you by Team Amino Pure, Rejuvenate HRT, our clinic for hormones, hormone deficiencies and inefficiencies, if you want to call it, of choice. And uh, today we're going to have Matt Kusan, our clinical director for Rejuvenate HRT on. How are you doing, Matt? I'm good, man. How are you, Ron? Good, my man. Just hanging out here, trying to um, sort out my new move, my new move here in California. It, it's funny, I was talking to some people, and they're, they're saying everybody's moving away from California. You're one of the weird people that actually moved. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I'm enjoying the 108 degree weather here uh, in sunny SoCal. Uh, it's been it's been quite hot. But the topic of discussion today is insulin. Uh, 
So it's been a topic that we actually been, uh, a lot of people have been requesting for some time now. And, and uh, I think that it's very beneficial for us to really discuss the good, the pros, the cons, how, why, and, uh, and, and let's, let's, pref let's preface all of this by saying in no way, shape, or form are we basically telling anyone to go and run insulin, okay? Insulin is, is, is something that you need to really understand the dynamics of how to do it. So please, if it's not for us, this is not us telling you to go ahead and procure some insulin from anywhere and, and then run it because you probably don't know how. This be real. And then you can get yourself, you can get yourself. in trouble. So I want to preface it with that. Uh, as always, we never condone the use of any illegal substances. It, everything we talk about in here is because we understand that people are going to do it anyway. And if you are going to be doing it, we want to make sure that you're making intelligent decisions on how, why, and where, and, and everything else. Uh, we can help you with certain protocols um, through Rejuvenate HRT. We have a lot of a lot of uh, uh, HRT protocols, uh, therapeutic protocols that we can help you with. Uh, from a from a TRT standpoint, you know, growth hormones, some secretagogues, some peptides, et cetera, et cetera. Matt is a fantastic coach from a from a coaching standpoint. Matt, you coach uh, Olympian athletes. You do too. Uh, you do IFBB pros and, and, and basically Gen Pop as well, correct? Correct. Uh, uh, you know, not too much Gen Pop these days, unless they're functional clients needing to you know improve their gut health or or metabolic dysfunction. Um, but some, some of my, uh, assistant coaches do take on, you know, lifestyle clients and that, uh, but most, most of my clientele specifically is either functional clients or, um, uh, amateur or professional athletes. Gotcha. Excellent. Let's, let's rock this, this bad boy out and let's start by addressing the, uh, the biggest question is what is insulin? So let's start with the basics and then let's break it down to why I believe is a much safer approach to um, PEDs and how I've actually managed to, to have better results with insulin and growth hormone versus running high doses uh, of, of PEDs. So let's, talk with, let's start with the basics. What is insulin in your body? Yeah, so insulin is a hormone that basically controls your blood sugar levels uh, by, by transporting the, the sugar uh, to different cells in the body. This can be your brain, muscles, you know, different areas of the body. Insulin is basically the transportation device. Yeah, I think that the biggest issue that, people, that we have with people not understanding how, what insulin is, is insulin doesn't discriminate. Insulin is basically a storage hormone. Let's call it what it is. If you consume high levels of fat, while you're consuming or in, in taking or uh, insulin, guess what's going to happen? You're going to store that fat because insulin doesn't know anything, but whatever it's in there is going to store it. Now keep that in mind because when you're when you're you're putting a program together and your nutrition is dialed in accordingly, that could be very beneficial for growth. Okay, so much like it works with um, with fat, think of the carbs and the protein. If you have insulin presence present in your body, it basically will store both carbs and protein, which is really what we want to do. So insulin is a storage hormone, good, bad, whatever it is, make sure that we're, you're very, very cognizant of that. Uh, a lot of times I've heard even for, from, I don't know if you've heard it from, from your uh, clients, I probably not because you deal more with athlete, athletes, uh, but I deal a little bit more with gen pop where they're very, very, uh, not 
I want to say worried about in, insulin because of the fact that they feel they're going to get fat. And there is a possibility of getting fat. You don't know what you're doing, right? So being, being said that insulin is more of a storage hormone, why do you think, or why would you recommend that, or what, why, let's, let's backtrack. Why do you think insulin is safer than running a PED protocol, Matt? So, you know, the first thing that I'll say, you know, there's typically two, two pushbacks that I get from people in regards to insulin. Like you said, number one, is it going to make me fat? And isn't that super dangerous? Is it, can I possibly die from it? So to address the first one, we have to remember that insulin is already being produced naturally in our body. So the only way that you're going to get fat is if you eat badly. If you eat an appropriate diet, the macros that you're supposed to be eating, the calories that you're supposed to be eating, you're not going to get fat. Um, so that's number one. Number two, in regards to risk factors, there's two main risks when it comes to insulin application. Uh, number one, whoever's prescribing the insulin dosing needs to know what they're doing. And number two, whoever's following the prescription needs to be able to follow directions properly. In bodybuilding, the number one cause for any insulin-related issues is user error. Meaning if I program 10 IUs and then a person decides, oh, I'm going to do 20 IUs, well, that's a problem. <laughs> or 100. And it's happened. I mean, I've actually, I've actually had professional I have BB pros that I've actually had as, as, as part of my our team of immunopure clients or coaches or athletes. They basically said, man, I've, I've done it where I've made a mistake and I've actually gone to 30, 40, 50 IUs of, of insulin. And at yes. that point, they're like, I'm rushing over to eat as many carbs as I can, right? Yes. <laughs> You're going to crash. So there is ways of doing it. But I mean, think about it this way, folks. If, you, if these people as professional athletes make those mistakes, and they can be dangerous, okay? They can be dangerous. Um, people that don't know what they're doing can make those mistakes as well. So we got to be very, very careful when we're talking about this. Thing. So, well, and, and let's let's talk about this a little bit more. You know, the number one reason that this mistake is made is because of HGH. HGH dosing, uh, when we look at IUs for the typical HGH dosing, the typical IU is technically 10 units. You know, 10 tick marks equals one IU of HGH. However, with insulin, 10 tick marks equals 10 IUs of insulin. So I think this is one of the most common mistakes that happens in bodybuilding. In fact, the, the one time that this has happened in my entire career, it was because of that. Uh, I had prescribed Lantus insulin, which is a basal insulin for a client. Basal insulins are the safest because they do not have any peak. Um, so the, luckily it was Lantus that was prescribed, but instead of the 10 units, uh, he ended up doing a hundred units. I was going to say a hundred most likely, right? A hundred units of Lantus. And guess what? he didn't even notice. Wow, that's pretty interesting. It didn't even impact him. That's how safe a basal insulin is. You can do 10 times too much and you won't even go hypoglycemic. So let me ask you a question, Matt, because I've actually, I've actually ran uh, Humalog. Mm -hmm. uh, so what is the difference between Humalog and Lantus? 
Yeah. So like I said, Lantus is a basal insulin, meaning it's got a 24 hour active life. They say that realistically, it's more like 12 hours. So typically people are splitting that into two 12 hour dosages, uh, but it's working in the background. It never hits a peak or anything like that. It's just kind of doing a steady stream in the background, covering the entire day's worth of insulin and blood sugar. Um, then you have fast acting insulins such as Humalog, Novalog, stuff like that. These things typically activate within 15 minutes and last about two and a half hours. And then you have some medium acting insulins that kick in in about, I want to say 60 to 90 minutes and then last uh, around four or five hours. But these can have two peaks. And this is usually what gets people is they're prepared for the first peak, but they're not prepared for the second peak. And then if they don't have the carbohydrates or food in their system, this is where they're going to go hypoglycemic. Right. So let me ask you a question in your opinion, because I mean, personally, the way that I use insulin was, it was me basically doing it for the first time. I use it during the cut season, during a cut where I was doing uh, one or two, I used fasted, which I didn't, it, it was, it wasn't even enough to, to really impact me the way that people think. Sure. I've had people like, do I use an insulin fasted? Is that going to, is that going to get me hypo? Like, you're not even going to notice it. Not um, even going to notice it. Not even going to notice it. So I did two IUs of, of insulin. I did um, our 500, 700 milligrams of L-carnitine. And, I did yep. and that combination got me like super, super lean. Like yep. I got consistently, consistency. If I was doing it every single day, five yeah. days on. And then I was just doing cardio without with insulin during the weekend. Right. But I was doing a cut. So it was a pretty aggressive cut. I got, I dropped, I went from 200 pounds and my previous 200 pounds, I'm 200 now, or give or take uh, my previous 200 pounds was nowhere near my 200 pounds. Now it was more of a mm-hmm. sloppy 200 pounds. I'm a little, I'm much leaner, much tighter, 200 pounds now, but I got down to like 172, 173, which is very, very lean. Mm-hmm. Um, just running, just running that. I wasn't running any clan. I wasn't running. I noticed the difference of adding the Humalog at that particular point. And the reason why I ran Humalog is because I wanted to be in and out. Of course. In and out yep. for faster cardio. Then I started experimenting with pre and post. Mm-hmm. That was more during my, my bulk, right? When yep. I got to 207 pounds and it was uncomfortable because my body's just, I'm not a big bow person. I'm just not comfortable at 205 pounds. I get really sluggish. I get yeah. really tired. So I, I basically have said to myself, 190 is a sweet spot for me. Yeah. Like a good 190, right? 10, 11% body fat, 190, I'm happy. But I started doing five IUs pre with my mm-hmm. pre-workout meal, which was probably about 60 to 80 carbs. So there's a little more. There wasn't like, it, it wasn't the, and we're going to talk a little bit about the, the carb to insulin ratio, because I know that you're probably going to talk about how people don't really, they do the 10 carbs for every one IU of, of insulin. And that could be, that could be a little bit, uh, you can miss, yeah, that's very broke. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I was trying to look for the right word, but yeah, yeah, we'll just say broke. <laughs> there is a science to this. There's a way of doing it according properly, sure. right? We're going to discuss that in a little bit. But I was doing yeah. about five, five, and I noticed if I added that, and then I started adding my liposomal uh, amino pump pre workout, okay, at that one point, I was doing the injectable, 
and I was doing my liposomal epicatechin. I was doing my, my pre-workout powder and I was doing my liposomal pre-workout. The pumps and oh, and IGFLR3. I love IGFLR3. The pumps, and, and Joey will tell you this, the pumps are so stupid. I mean, they're so ridiculously stupid that sure. it, it hurts Absolutely. because I've never experienced anything like it before. I'll be honest with you. I've sure. never in my life experienced anything like this. You feel like you are going to the Olympia. You are yeah. just, just so much. So full. Fullness. And your chest is popping. Your arms are twice as, as big. That's how I did it. And then yeah. I went ahead and then post-workout, I would get home and I would do my insulin. And work. Yeah. I would go shower. Then I would go ahead and have my 60 to 80 carb uh, white rice with, with chicken or whatever I was having at the point. That got me in, in I mean, I put on the most amount of muscle when I was doing that. Yeah. And, and growth hormone, because I was. Yeah. And, I, and for anybody that actually has sent me these messages, I want to basically tell them to fuck off because they don't believe that I was basically, I've been running 200 milligrams of testosterone with, with that protocol. All I was doing was three, four. This is what got me the biggest. And I think I mentioned it to you. Four IUs, and I tell people, and, may, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I believe, Matt, okay? I've done one IU, two IUs of growth, which is great for anti-aging, right? We can do, we can prescribe it through a rejuvenated fatigue, where I noticed my biggest gains and, and with minimizing pet use was four IUs of growth, IGFLR3, and a very minimal use of, of insulin. I literally got just 200, that's when I got to 267 pounds, and I got just full, and, and I was running 200 milligrams of test. I was being accused of running Trend, DECA. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've done DECA before 50 milligrams, but I was accused of running everything under the sun. I'm like, no. Sure. Really. I mean, I was, I was not, I, I wouldn't say I'm natty, yeah. <laughs> right? But I was running yeah. growth hormone, and I was running uh, insulin, and I was running 200 milligrams of testosterone. I'll tell you one thing. I tell even my, my own clients that are kind of like dabbling into like, hey, do I want to do, do I, I want to run growth hormone? Unless you're running four IU, I tell them don't waste the money from a growth standpoint, from, yeah. from, from, a, from a muscle building standpoint, unless you have the money to run four IUs a day, I wouldn't do it. Like I, I didn't notice any benefits from two or three IUs from a, from a muscle tissue building standpoint. Anti-aging, anti of course, you run two IUs, you're, you're going to get something out of it. But I don't think that you build muscle with anything lower than five, four IUs. What is your take on that? Uh, I, I mean, I, I guess it depends on the level of muscle. Like we, there, we know that there is going to be muscle tissue built on two IUs, but it's not going to be significant. It might be one pound for an entire year, which is, which is not much, you know? So, and we also have to think that there's other attributes too, you know, it's, it's helping with sleep. It's helping with recovery. It's helping with, um, uh, freeing out, um, fatty acids to be, to be burnt. So, so there's a lot of recomposition potential there too. But I would say the bare minimum, if you're, if you're taking it specifically to help support growth as a growth promoter, I would say three IUs is the minimum for men. I would say one to two IUs is the minimum for women. Obviously, right. the more you take, the better the, your results are going to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, typically I, for men, four IUs is going to be the place that you're going to see results. You're going to see results. And, 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 and I took it to five because, you know, I pushed the envelope and all my, all my health markers were good. 
Yep. And I, until I got to a point where my arms were just getting numb, like literally numb, yeah. like I function anymore. I topped out at eight, I think it was eight or nine weeks. Okay, I'm done. But I mean, yeah. I noticed that when I dropped some of the water, I sure. was, I was, this is what, this is before I had my gut issue. Um, I was as big as I've, I've been running the least amount of gear. Yep. And I, I've never ran like a lot of gear anyway. I've done, you know, um, DECA and at very minimal dosages because my issues, I get toxic. I get toxic yeah. really fast. I'm not, I, I would never be able to, I mean, I would never be able to compete because I get toxic off like a hundred milligrams of, of this and that, right? Yeah. Uh, 200, 300 milligrams of equipoise and forget it. I'm yeah. done. Like three weeks and I'm like, I'm toxic. So yeah. that's just not what I do. But I've noticed that for me at least, and I had really like, you look at my liver enzymes were good. You look at my kidney filtration was good. My GHFRs, my creatinine, my blood levels were all good. I obviously, I, I, I'm very precarious. I run detox and liposomal glutathione combined when I'm running these kinds of things. But I don't really do anything ridiculously crazy to, yeah. to get to where, where I'm at. And I'm in somewhat decent shape. I look okay. You're right. So what, why would you, why would you think that is better, it's more beneficial to run an insulin-based protocol versus running high doses of gear? And what are the pros and cons to both? Sure. So this is, you know, an up and coming topic that we're going to hear more about in the bodybuilding industry, because quite frankly, the last 30 years of information has been completely wrong. Um, what we have to understand when we talk about low risk models for PED use, we're talking about long-term risks, not necessarily short-term risk. We're talking about long-term risks. When we look at all the deaths that have occurred recently and all the negative attributes or the negative things that are impacting male bodybuilders, it's kidneys, heart, and their brain. These, these are the things that are impacting male bodybuilders most, their kidneys, their blood pressure, their heart, their brains. So when we're discussing low-risk models for, for PEDs and growth, we need to reduce the risk on the kidneys, the heart, and the brain. And the, the items that drive the most toxicity in these areas are the heavy androgen use, the 19 yours, testosterone over 500 milligrams a week, oral PEDs, even SARMs all have toxicity to them. If it's oral, it's toxic. So we have to keep in mind that all the things that we think are, you know, quote unquote, better or safer are actually driving more toxicity and higher risk long term. Yeah. I, so so there, there's risk factors with everything we take. If you're doing bodybuilding, you can't be scared of risks. You nobody signed up for NASCAR saying, I don't want to drive fast. So that's, that's, you know, step number one, we we're accepting risks, but the point is that if we can take a lower risk approach and do things as safely as possible while accomplishing our goals, even if it's slightly slower, that's the way to go. And so by, you know, by utilizing things like HGH, HGH secretagogues, insulin, no toxicity, you know, no long-term detriments. And they also happen to be the most anabolic items. Yeah, I was getting ready to say that. Insulin is the most anabolic hormone, you want to call it, in your body. Correct. 
I mean, can you imagine if you take that to the next level and you're utilizing responsibly, right? Responsibly exactly. over here, but you're upping that. You, you can't get any more anabolic than that, right? Correct. Now you group that with growth hormone and, and I'm a big fan. I don't know if you are, but I'm a big fan. I, I even on my, some of my athletes that I talk to, um, I don't ever run growth hormone without IGFLR3. I like that. I like that balance and the results that they've been getting have been great. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talk about insulin sensitivity versus insulin resistance. It kind of like negates both of those, right? Because you're going to be, one makes you a little bit insulin sensitive. The other one makes you insulin resistant. So you're going to be in a good place. The response that we get when you group it with some of that other stuff, you know, I talked about uh, insulin in your thing. You're talking about liposomal, you know, uh, some of our liposomal line for pre-workouts. Your workouts are going to be much better because you're literally utilizing all that food that you consumed and store it in your muscle for fuel. Your yep. workouts are going to be better. Now you're talking about growth hormone at 4IU. Let's hypothetically say we're running somebody that's a little bit more experienced at 4IU. Now you're talking about faster recovery. You're yep. talking about bigger, big, more muscle density. You're yep. actually building more muscle. And guess what, guys? You just bypass your liver and you bypass a lot of your organs toxicity. That's you right. bypass the HPA access tax the taxing of your hpa access you bypass yep. your all everything that could go wrong from a, from a pet use standpoint you just bypass all that and i think the risk i me personally i think the results are much better much better anyway absolutely my, my 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 just my two cents based on the studies that i've read based on what i've seen so i have a couple questions and i was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday about about uh, HEH because her, in the past she's actually ran some uh, some P, some PDs uh, and I told her well there's a better approach because much like what you what what you say in in your studies and in the things that you we've been talking about I really believe that there's different ways to skin a cat yeah uh, you know I I I'm a big I'm a big believer in SARMs um, there's certain SARMs that are really great that have very, very positive studies that are shown to, to, to improve a lot of the um, issues that you can have with PD use. Uh, so you can incorporate SARMs, you can incorporate some of these, even, even the, even the, um, the, the herbal stuff, some of the, some of the uh, uh, turkestrone, epicatechin that showed some great results. The, 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 the good thing and the bad thing about turkestrone and epicatechin, I'll tell you what it is. And I've spoken to even some scientists and some pharmaceutical guys about this. Um, the problem is that you're not 99% of the stuff that you're going to get out in the market is junk. Sure. It, it's not high quality. Like our, people always ask, well, why is your, 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 your epicatic and so expensive in comparison to so-and-so? We literally use 99% pharmaceutical grade raw materials in our products. Okay. I guarantee you that other manufacturers are, are using 30%, 40% because it, it's, it, and they don't see, and then you don't see results. And then people yeah. are wondering why, because your yeah. efficacy is so low. It's junk. It's literally junk. So if you run a very well developed program with a very well developed product, you're going to see results. People that have bought our phytosomal and have bought our liposomal epicatechin, they thrive on it because they're like, man, this is really good stuff. Well, it's because I paid a lot of money for the raw material. So you're sure. going to get what you paid for. So you group some of those things, okay? And you're grouping growth hormone and insulin. You are going to grow or you're going to get lean. And you're yeah. going to bypass all those other issues. I, one of the things that I hear a lot is, and, and these are like a lot of bros, right? Well, you know, 
you put it in perspective, not a lot of people are dying off of PD use. And, and we, you see in the news, right? <laughs> the, the, the athletes that are, have passed away, the big names that have passed away. But what I'm more focused on is, you're right, they're not passing away now, but they're passing away at 55. Correct. They're passing away at 59. So what did that, what did that tell you? That's just shortening your lifespan. Yep, it's long-term risks. And, and what are they passing away from? Kidneys, liver, uh, heart, right? And, and what are your thoughts, Matt, when it comes to um, long-term insulin use? Talk about that. Is, is there any dangers of long-term insulin use? No, because unlike the other hormones in our body, there's no reverse feedback loop process with insulin. So you're, you're not down-regulating natural production if you continue to take exogenous insulin. As soon as you stop taking exogenous insulin, your body picks up right where it left off, left off. producing its own natural insulin again. Um, so no, there's really not long-term risks usage. In fact, you know, insulin usage is becoming more and more popular. It's even becoming popular in a hormone replacement anti-aging setting because they've now found that elevated blood sugar and insulin resistance and diabetes are linked to um, dementia and Alzheimer's. And this is due to too much sugar in the brain. Uh, so they have now considered calling Alzheimer's type three diabetes. Oh, wow. So now in a lot of anti-aging environments, they'll be prescribing metformin or even insulin dosages for the elderly people to mitigate this. And, you know, when, when the whole conversation of, well, insulin can kill you comes up, let, let's understand something real quick. There's billions of diabetics in the United States. And I think we can all agree that the general population in this country is not too intelligent. So let, let's talk about the, the process of, of being diagnosed diabetic in the United States. You go into the doctor's office and they say, yeah, you're, you're type two diabetes, so you need to inject insulin. And they give you some vials of insulin, they give you a glucometer, and they say, if your blood sugar is too high, take some insulin. If your blood sugar is too low, eat an apple. And they send you on your way. That is the exact process of getting diagnosed diabetic. And I know it because I've had multiple clients that go through this. So let's think about that. Typical American gets a bottle of insulin, gets told if your sugar is high, take insulin. If your sugar is low, eat an apple. But people aren't falling all over the place dying. So it can't be that dangerous in all reality. What we're typically seeing, like I said before, it's, it's misdosing or it's extreme personalities thinking if I take more, I'm going to see more results. Yeah. I think one of the biggest problems in bodybuilding is everyone has a misunderstanding of why they're taking insulin. At, through conversations, talking to people, most guys that take insulin are chasing the, the feeling of hypoglycemia. And so they'll take more and more insulin until they actually feel hypo because then they think it's working. But we need to understand that as soon as the body goes hypo, our central nervous system shuts down. The, uh, any process of muscle building and CNS activation and, and intense training all shuts down. 
So if you're forcing your body to go hypo in a training session, you are actually hindering the, the success of that training session and hindering any progress that could come from that training session. Realistically, if you're using insulin properly, you shouldn't quote unquote feel too much other than very full muscles. That's what you should feel. Hunger and full muscles. Those are the two things you should feel. If you've gone hypo, you're either eating too little or more importantly, taking too much insulin. And I think one of the biggest issues is nobody in bodybuilding is taking insulin properly. I heard a big name, a big name coach on a podcast a couple months back describing how he um, deploys insulin with clients. And he said, he basically has them start at a dose. And he said, keep increasing your IUs until you feel hypo and then back off. And I'm just like, wait a minute, you're literally telling people to go hypo and then back off their dose. I have a much smarter approach. How about we use these devices called glucometers that track blood sugar And that's how we decide a dosing because Ron, we both know that your blood sugar before and after a meal is going to be different than my blood sugar before and after a meal. So how the fuck can the two of us talk about using the same doses of insulin? Agreed. Agreed. It's like everything else though. It's like everyone is so different, right? Right. And the way that we process things. So I, I, I like that. So let's talk a little bit about that. So let's say, what would be the ideal process utilizing a glucometer to really address, to really nail down how much insulin you should be taking? Sure. So, you know, let's go back to that, that comment about, you know, the old school approach of, you know, 10 grams of sugar per IU and stuff like that. What we have to remember is this research was taken from, or this, this statement was taken from research regarding diabetics people who don't produce their own natural insulin or don't have enough natural insulin. That is not the same as a healthy individual who already, who currently has insulin in their body. So if it's 10 carbs per IU for someone who has no insulin, obviously somebody who already has insulin isn't going to need nearly that much. So that kind of that kind of makes sense. Um, in, so talk a little bit about insulin and metformin. I'm a big fan of both. Um, <laughs> I have read plenty of studies that talk about metformin being now like the, a huge anti-aging drug being utilized by many people and, and even even in, in, the, in the anti-aging community uh, by a lot of clinics. Talk to me a, lot, a little bit about how you can actually use insulin and use a metformin for your benefit. Yeah. So, you know, with using a glucometer, anyone who wants to use insulin should be basing it off of their glucose readings, you know, because at the end of the day, that's what insulin is doing. Insulin is reducing your blood glucose. So let's say, for example, we're going to do pre and post workout Humalog. So in order to decipher your appropriate amount of insulin dosage pre-workout, you first need to know where your blood sugar is. If your blood sugar is at 90 pre-workout, then that tells you, okay, you know, I should probably apply this many IUs because I plan on eating this many carbs. Okay. Let me stop you right there. So let's, let's take that because I was about to say that. So let's say that I'm, I'm, you're coaching me, 
Okay. Yep. I'm okay, Matt. I'm ready for my pre-workout meal. It's 147 Pacific Standard Time right now. I my pre-workout meal is literally 40 grams of um of uh, Gatorade with my pre-workout, and it's about 80 grams of carbs, white rice with chicken and some vegetables. So at that point, I'm consuming about approximately usually my my, my workout meal is about an hour and a half to two hours before my workout right? So I'm doing 80 grams of carbs there. And then I'm doing 40 grams pre-workout. And let's not talk about intra right now, because I do like okay. intra carbs. Uh, let's talk about that. How would you, how would I dose insulin to get the most out of my pre-workout meal and pre-workout protocol? So really the, if we're talking about a low risk approach, the goal should just be to optimize your blood sugar levels prior to that meal. So we know that optimal blood sugar levels are between 75 and 85, but we can, we can obviously go down a little bit and say 70 to 80. So if you check your blood sugar before that pre-workout meal and your blood sugar is 90, then you can say to yourself, okay, the goal of insulin is to get me into the 70s. That's it. That's the goal of insulin. It's not so much that I'm about to eat 100 carbs. It's more so just priming your body by getting you into the optimal range. So, and, th and how many units it's going to take to get there is very dependent on the specific person's insulin sensitivity. But what we can typically see is one IU of insulin can typically move someone five to seven points on a glucometer. So four... So four units would move you about 20 points, give or take, depending on your sensitivity. So if you're in the 90s and you want to be in the 70s, then four IUs might be a good solution for you. Now, once you have that established, you take into account, okay, what am I about to eat now? And what am I going to continue to eat intra-workout? And do I maybe need to adjust that insulin dosage or should that be enough? Because remember, if we go hypo, we've ruined our workout. Right. So it would be better off to be low insulin than too much insulin. We're always better off because we still have natural insulin, guys. Like right. we're st we still have our, our body can handle 40 fucking carbs. Our body can handle 80 fucking carbs. <laughs> yeah. You know? Come on. Like we don't quote unquote need the insulin. We're just trying to enhance absorption and utilization. So from my, from my perspective, depending on the person, I would start out at three to four IUs for that specific situation. And then as you finish your workout, your intra-workout is done, everything is done. I'm going to have you retest your blood glucose and see what your post-workout glucose is so that we can decipher what needs to be done post-workout. Because most people would assume, well, post-workout, I'm going to be glycogen depleted, so I should be really low. Well, not necessarily because number one, you did intra-workout carbs. And number two, a lot of people are so sympathetic post-workout that they actually have high blood sugar. High blood sugar. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say. So post-workout, you check your blood sugar and you're at 100. I, I was going to say, I've actually, that's me. I've actually done post-workout. I've checked my, my, my blood glucose. And mm -hmm. you would think that I was kind of low. I was actually yeah. 101, 102. Sure. So if you're if you're at a 102 glucose and you're about to slam 80 to 100 carbs, do you think that's actually going to benefit your muscles? Not one freaking bit. So you have two choices. You can either wait like an hour and a half for that blood sugar to go down or 
we can control that blood sugar using a little bit more fast acting insulin. So if we're at 102 post workout, then, you know, let's, let's try to get back into that optimal range of the seventies again. So this time around, because we're in the one Oh twos, we know we probably need a little bit more. So now we're looking at five or six IUs of insulin to cover that neck, to bring us down and cover that next meal. Now, because we've used Humalog, it's out of our system in about two and a half hours. And if that's it, we're done for the day. Yeah, that, that's, that's great information right there because I've done something similar, but I followed more in the beginning. I followed more of a bro approach of the 10, you know, the, the whole 10 per, per every IU of carbs. But, you know, in, in doing my own research and learning a little bit more about insulin, because I'm, I'm fascinated by that, by that hormone, um, a lot of people are starting to use glucometers and I started using glucometers and, and even waking up in the morning, I would wake up at a, sometimes we'll wake up at a one one but I mean, yep. a lot of that is because hydration is one, it's one, yep. one, right. Number one, number two is like, as you know, I'm just a cortisol <laughs> yeah. producing machine. <laughs> my, my well, it, yeah. It, it's, it's sleep, it's inflammation, it's, it's hydration. You know, there's so many factors there, but to your point, you know, let, let's, let's shift focus to what you mentioned, a fat loss protocol, because everyone thinks insulin is specifically for muscle growth, but they don't know that it is one of the best tools that you can use in a fat loss protocol too. Amazing. And one of the ways that we use fast acting insulin is fasted, like Ron has said, but keep in mind, we're, we're doing this in an intelligent approach. We're going to check your morning blood glucose and we're going to base the insulin dosage off of that because keep in mind, the whole point of fasted cardio is to assume that the body is more depleted and the less sugar that you have in your bloodstream, <clears throat> the faster your body starts burning fat. You have to deplete the glucose in order to be in a fat burning mode. So if we can deplete glucose faster by taking insulin, you're going to be eating or eating fat faster. Now, stop right there, Matt, real quick. Can you, like, just in, in, in I'm, on, I'm going to interject for everybody listening. Can you imagine you utilizing that protocol that Matt was talking about, what I've done in the past? Now you do, you do 500 or 700 milligrams of L-carnitine, injectable. Exactly. Can you imagine the amount of body fat you're going to be mobilizing out of your system? Oh, I, I have an even better approach, bro. Let's do some, let's do some HGH before bed. Because in about four to five hours after that shot, we're going to start liberating fatty acids. Right. Then when we wake up in the morning, we're going to include some clenbuterol or yohimbine to even further that, that fatty acid liberation. And then we're going to include the L-carnitine and insulin to use those fatty acids for energy. And then you're melting fat. You're melting fat. Like I've noticed huge differences just by adding... And I, and I forgot about GH because I do IGH in the morning. Uh, yep. And depending on what my protocol, I would do one IU of, of even yep. one, one IU of HGH. I wasn't that's running. enough for fat loss. That's, that's enough for fat loss. Exactly. So it's one IU of GH, insulin, L-carnitine. And I, and I wasn't doing your himbine at the time. I was doing um, GW, GW. Okay. Yeah. So GW, <clears throat> I'm a big fan of, of the Supersonic GW50156. A lot of people that I work with have had great results with that protocol, but yep. you can always add, you could always add, um, you know, if you're a little bit more advanced, clenbuterol, thermoburn HD, which we have, liquid clenbuterol, if you want to want to take the tabs. And yep. 
it's everything is as long as you are doing things responsibly, but you do become just a fat burning machine. Now yep. the, the downside to that, and what I noticed, I'll be honest with you, it's part of diet, it's part of cutting. You just get flat. Yeah, <laughs> you, of course. You get flat. I mean, I was like drenched in sweat, but I, I was tiny, tiny. Yeah. Right. And it's just like I'm just so you're so glycogen depleted. But think about it this way: it's the 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 the, the protocol is doing what we what you want it to do. That's, That's right. really you. You it's very difficult to stay full while you're cutting, even if you're a pro or whoever. I mean, they're running high amounts of gear anyway. But the approach that we're actually prescribing is going to be a much healthier approach. Which yeah, I'm, and the thing about staying full is I can't. If somebody is cutting, do not even talk to me about staying full. Don't even fucking talk to me about it because guess what? When does being full actually matter? Show day. Okay. That's the only day. So who the hell cares? You're 11 weeks out and you feel that you're flat. Who cares? You're supposed to be flat. That's how you get rid of fat. It's mental though. It's, it's mental. I, 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 you know, you, you, <laughs> your face. you know, what's interesting, you know, who, who, who the, I don't even think, I don't even know at this point. Cause I think I, I'm just thinking about it right now. Who complains most men or women about that? Men. I think men. I think men complain more about being full because you know, their girlfriends are, <laughs> some their girlfriends are bulking, <laughs> they're cutting and they're like, my group is bigger than I <laughs> Men complain way more about fullness and depletion. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a hard line. So talk to me a little bit about, so that, that's a great protocol for, for a fast acting, cutting uh, use of Humalog. I'm a fan of Humalog. I've never tried Lances before, but talk to me a little bit about the benefits of Lances versus Humalog and what a, an ideal protocol would look like. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, the, the protocol that we just talked about is strictly for Humalog. It's not for Humalog. Nah, yeah. It's not for any other type of insulin. It has to be rapid-acting insulin, Apidra, Humalog, Nova Rapid, something like that. And it's very low-dosed. Like Ron said, two IUs, you don't need a lot. You're just trying to reduce your fasted blood sugar and you need to be checking your fasted blood sugar so that you can decide how much to reduce it. I think you can fuck your body up if you go, because the bro science out there is the mentality is more is better. More is better. More is better. More is better. And you, as much as I know now, based on the things that we talk about and, and patients that we deal with at the clinic, more is not always better. Understanding right. when to back off, when to slow down. Right. And I was just talking to Matt a little bit about it. It's like people... I go to the gym now here in the area and even even where my mom lives and people are like, they think that I'm like, you know, throwing all these kinds of heavy weight. I literally don't lift very heavy. I don't because I understand that I need to get rid of some issues that I have in order for me to progress. Yeah. So what happens if, if, if I go full balls out and I'm not paying attention to my coach, which Matt's coaching me now, uh, <laughs> and I'm not doing my three days, right? We're at three days right now, which is hard. It's, it's hard to do when you're doing five days or six days, which I don't really recommend anybody do six days anyway. I don't yeah. I, the, two, the two days. And I, I read studies that talk, and I'm going to know I'm deviating a little bit, guys. We'll get back to, to the insulin stuff. I read studies that are proving now that four days is really optimal. It's really the ideal sweet spot for, for, for recovery and, and performance. It certainly depends on, you know, allostatic load and, and stuff, but I, my people see the best results between four and five days. Those, the dependent on the person, four to five days is really good. Um, 
to stimulate the muscle, but also stimulate recovery and growth. Yeah, that, I, I love that. I noticed the biggest changes in my body when I started, you know, you incorporating some of our supplements, of course, some mm-hmm. of these approaches for insulin growth hormone, very minimal pet use. I mean, we're talking, yep. I literally don't take anything else. I, as a matter of fact, I just asked you the other day, hey, should I add 50 milligrams of DECA? I don't, I don't yeah. run it. Like, I'm on yeah. 200 milligrams of test. That's all I do. And I think that the best benefits I'm going to have, and I'm, and I'm going to listen to Matt, obviously, um, it's going to be by utilizing some of these compounds that I think are much safer than you running, you know, anyway. The, yeah. Another thing, and this is for people that are a little bit more into the vanity side of things, drugs to age you. Have you, seen, have you seen, like, with some of these 20, I'm in my 40s, and I look younger than some of these 20-year-old bodybuilders. I'm like, how old are you? You look yeah. old, dude. You yep. look like you're 40 and you're like 20 something. So, yep. you know, it's, it's all that toxicity that you're putting in your body. And, and we're, we're talking about, I mean, we all push the limits, right? But try to stay safe. Try to, stay, try to do it as safely as possible. Long intelligently. Long, just do it intelligently. That's what it is. That's what it is. So talk to me. Let's, let's dive back. Let's revert back to what we were talking about. Lantus, right? Lantus, yeah. So I, I have I have kind of some baseline applications that, you know, times where I would use Lancet, times that I would use fast acting insulin. I typically never used medium acting insulins. I don't really see a benefit. And honestly, I think that when we talk about risks, they have the highest risk because of that second peak. So Lantus, in my opinion, is the lowest risk option because it has no peak. And like we already discussed, anecdotally, somebody took 10 times too much and didn't even notice. He just went about his common day, ate his meals. And the only way we noticed was because his pen was halfway gone after one use. And he's just like, how am I already out of insulin? And that's, that's, I have a question. When you drew in Lantus, wouldn't your, your, Sure, your blood glucose drop. Let's say, depending on the use, let's say hypothetically it drops to 70. Would you keep that 70 throughout the entire day? So, the way Lantus works, it's not going to be nearly as acute of a drop as Humalog. It, it's more so going to be dispersed. The, the units that you take is more so dispersed throughout the day. So, even after your, your let's say you did 10 IUs of Lantus in the morning you're not going to see that drop your insulin, your blood sugar that much in the morning. You're going to see a small reduction throughout the entire day. Does it peak down or basically the, educate me because I'm not very familiar with Lantus. Okay. So does it, does it basically peak down? Let's, let's put a hypothetical number. Let's say I'm, I'm a hundred. I wake up at a hundred and I take my Lantus and within two hours I drop to, I don't know, 80. Would I continue that 80 throughout the entire 24 hours? Well, I mean, food dependence, but yes, it's going to keep you consistently lower because your, your natural basal insulin is still there. And now you've added to your natural basal insulin with exogenous. So throughout the day, yeah, you're probably going to stay 10 or so units lower, depending on your dose. Um, but notice how that's never bringing you to a point of dangerous, like fifties, six forties, where you're going to go hypoglycemic or anything like that. It's just a steady stream. And one of the biggest benefits to Lantus is in off seasons, when people are really pushing the, the food amount, this is what people don't understand. People think that they're better off just growing on food and, and not using drugs. But what they don't understand is 
by pushing 5,000 calories and 600 carbs and all these high amounts of food, guess what? Your pancreas has to work significantly harder to cover all that food. So you think that you're doing yourself a favor by not taking insulin or, or drugs, but you're actually causing yourself insulin resistance by overtaxing your natural pancreas. So by using a basal insulin in the off season, when you, your food gets to a certain level, you're actually giving your pancreas a break and providing more health benefits on the body. So using insulin, uh, Lantus as a, in, a, in a conservative way in the off season is actually better for your body than trying to naturally force food down. So I have a question. Yeah. Uh, I see the health benefit of Lantus. Uh, it, from a health standpoint, you're giving your pancreas a break. A lot of your organs are, are going to, you know, you're, you're, you're decreasing the, your natural stress that you put on a daily basis on your organs. Yes. If, 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 because you don't have those peaks, mm -hmm. how do you grow off Lantus? The same way you grow naturally. Everything else is, is, is working normal. You just have added a little bit of basal uh, insulin in the background. So you, would you, would it, would it store the amount of food? I mean, could you, grow your body is still going to produce insulin per meal. Got it. So you're still going to see the spikes, but at a much lower, um, lower controlled. controlled method. It's a, it's a controlled matter. Exactly. Got it. So typically I'm using Lantus in, in that type of scenario when, when we're off season and the, the main goal is supporting the excess food intake. Now, obviously if we're, pushing off-season growth, we're probably also using HGH or HGH secretologs. And we know that these items increase insulin resistance. So by taking some basal insulin with this, we're also protecting that insulin resistance and making sure that nutrient partitioning is staying optimized, regardless of our dosages of drugs. Right. So there, there's multiple benefits to the basal insulin approach. Now, in regards to some, some negatives to that, there's, there's a lot more water retention that comes with Lantus versus other types of insulin. Um, and it doesn't tend to have quite as much of an impact on free IGF levels as Humalog does. That is, you know, when we talk about, when we say things like you should, you should always use HGH with insulin, there, there's a few reasons for that. And, you know, one of them is obviously controlling insulin resistance and blood glucose. But the other reason that most people don't know about is it, exogenous insulin will actually increase free IGF levels, meaning you're going to get more bang for buck out of your HGH or your secretagogues by including insulin into that factor. So not only are you enhancing nutrient partitioning, you are also enhancing the recovery process and the hormones that support recovery around the workout. So this is why together HGH and insulin or HGH secretagogues and insulin are such good growth promoters because together they have so many equal benefits on both health and performance. I'm a fan. Uh, I've been a fan for the last I think years since I started dabbling into insulin and, and HGH. And obviously I've, I've experimented with low dosages of both. And mm -hmm. I don't think I've experimented with high dosages of both. I think the most I've ever done of insulin at, at, at one time was probably seven I use. Yeah. Uh, in, in, Which is pretty decent. It's, yeah, it's a decent amount. 
but it's not yeah. anything ridiculously high either. Um, yeah. and, and I got the best results of that. Talk to me about combining insulin growth, uh, growth hormone or growth hormone secretagogues and IGFLR3. Do you see a benefit of adding IGFLR3 at that point? Or is that basically a moot point? No, I mean, you certainly could. Um, you know, it's just the, the whole goal with increasing IGF is the fact that IGF is what's, you know, supporting muscle recovery when we break down our, our muscle fibers uh, in our workout. So the more we can support IGF production or IGF levels post-workout, the more recovery we're going to see and more muscle growth we're going to see. Um, is there a certain point of diminished returns? Mm, hard to say. I've, I've never pushed those limits to really see. I'd say, if anything, the diminished return is probably your, in your pocket. Um, now, I do know that in pro bodybuilding, excessive use of IGF LR3 has been correlated to liver cancer. Right. So, you know, we do always want to be careful because the thing that we always have to understand while HGH and HGH secretagogues are very healthy in regards in comparison to you know other PEDs, they grow every single cell in the body. So if you already have tumor cells there, they're going to grow them. So that's something to keep in mind too uh, when when utilizing these things. And that is just something that I've seen in research with L very high levels of IGF. We're mm -hmm. talking, you know. Um, big Rammy levels of IGF <laughs> yeah. that, that has, that has led been linked to a lot of cancers in pro bodybuilders. I think that the biggest thing, and one of the things that I, I ask people uh, that when anytime they're talking to me or asking questions about growth hormone or IGF LR3 is, do you have history of cancer in your life? Yeah. It's yeah. the number one question. I said, yeah, my wife or my ex or whatever, my, my wife, my mom, my, 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 my great grandmama had, you know, breast, they both have history of breast cancer. I tell them stay off of all secretagogues, stay off of growth hormone because it's genetic and it's yeah. very possible you have that. And like anything else, growth hormone is going to grow much like what you say, everything. Everything, you know, everything. And, and one of the biggest things that I've noticed, even from a therapeutic standpoint, with AGH and even GGA secretagogues is um, your, your notice how your hair changes, your pigmentation changes, yeah, skin changes, everything. Changes. Your, your nails grow faster. Everything, everything. everything starts to change. And it's because there's this, there's cell, uh, uh, there's cell revitalizing the cell structure is faster, better, more optimal, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, it's kind of like the same thing, you know, it's like insulin, insulin is a storage hormone. It doesn't discriminate. It will store whatever you feed it. Growth yeah. hormone is the same thing. It will grow whatever cells you have in your body. So keep right. in mind from a health standpoint, though, that's something to, to definitely add. Um, yeah. Great stuff, Matt. Anything else that you, you can think of that our, our listening audience can, can benefit from? Well, I think that uh, a very important topic that honestly has never gotten discussed publicly and as far as I'm concerned is insulin use in female athletes. And I think that this honestly has been the most underrated drug that every female is scared to use because they've been misled by the bodybuilding community in regards to what insulin does, who should be using it, and its entire mechanism of action in the body. So, you know, let's think about this real quick. If a woman came to us today and said, I want to grow as much as possible this off season, but I'm very scared about viralization and side effects. And I'm very scared about 
uh, maintaining my fertility down the road. Okay, so we want to grow as much as possible, but we need to be cautious on viralization, side effects, and its impact on long-term fertility. All right, well, what drugs are going to have these, these impacts? We know that just about every uh, androgenic hormone is going to have risks of viralization, risks of other side effects, toxicity. And then of course, it's going to downregulate progesterone and testosterone and potentially estrogen. And so therefore it does potentially have long-term risks on um, fertility. Let's think about drugs that do not carry any of these things. HGH has no uh, viralization symptoms, no toxicity, and has no negative impact on your natural reproductive hormones. On the other hand, insulin as well has no viralization, no negative toxicity, and no negative impact on your natural reproductive hormones. So if we were to think about the absolute best growth promoting stack that had zero viralization or negative impacts, let's think about what that would be. Testosterone replacement therapy, a low dose of testosterone, HGH at one or two IUs a day, and properly applied insulin, um, possibly throughout the day, pre and post workout, however you want to do it. This is everything that the body needs to grow. And this is also three hormones that the body already creates naturally. So the body will accept it with as little resistance as possible. You're not gonna see progesterone downregulation. You're not gonna see estrogen downregulation. You're not gonna see negative impacts on fertility. As long as the testosterone is in a testosterone replacement dosage, you're not gonna see viralization. You're not gonna see toxicity. So the best stack for women in regards to safety and long-term health, testosterone, HGH, and insulin. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I've had this discussion with numerous females that are uh, a little bit concerned because I have, we've probably looked at a lot of female labs over the last couple of months. Yep. And, uh, T or find a female that's over 38, 40 that has optimal levels uh, of um, hormones, like I, I it's, it's it's very difficult. Like you either see like low progesterone, low testosterone, high estrogen, estrogen dominance. There's, it's just not optimal. Let's just say optimal. Okay, it doesn't mean that they're unhealthy. Unhealthy, they're just not optimal to where where we want to keep them based on our our, our HRT approach. So, mm -hmm. uh, if if you're able to not tax the HPA axis, right? We're talking about stressors that are, are going to cause some taxing of your glands, your name, your neurotransmitters, your adrenals, and all that stuff. If we can optimize, if a meal comes to me and says, "Look, I want to be optimized. What are, what what can you offer me?" From and let's talk, let's hypothetically say coaching, um, coaching hormones and uh, protocol uh, mm -hmm. supplement protocol. I would say, well, let's run full panels. Let's see what your your estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Yep. Rejuvenated HRT, Matt, we will dial you in and we will get you where you need to be. Yep. So now we're talking about, okay, we, we fix those issues. If your gut is in, in place, your liver, your enzymes, your kidneys, filtration, your organs are in a good place. 
now we were talking about okay, how do we push the envelope from a from from a supplement standpoint? Uh, and and let's assume and that how we, do we keep those things in place? And how do we exactly right? And let's assume that Mad myself were uh, one of one of the coaches that we work with are dialing your nutrition, and we know that they're going to dial you accordingly based on your phase, whether it's a health phase protocol, a growth protocol, and cutting protocol. So that foods in, foods in check. We we let's assume that. Now, now we have hormones in check, gut is in check, food is in check. Now you're primed to really put forth whatever you want to do. If you yep. want to cut, your body's going to be responsive because yep. it's healthy and it's optimized. If you want to bulk, it's healthy and it's optimized. So now we're now we're cooking. Now, now we're talking about how to run growth hormone insulin. And, and properly and accordingly with a TRT dose. Yeah. Hypothetically, I'm a fan of, of keeping uh, female, and we're talking about females only. I don't see any reason to have females over four to five IUs of testosterone. Uh, assuming that your digestion's in place, assuming right. your adrenals and your cortisol levels are in place, and assuming your, your, your hormones are in place and everything is checking out, you should be able to see some great benefits off four to five IUs of testosterone. Okay. Now we're adding, let, let's say we're, we're bulky. I'm bulking one of the girls and I, I'm going to be working with a female uh, athlete. Hopefully next week we're going to run some panels. Um, you and I will talk about her. Mm -hmm. uh, but she asked me, okay, Ron, what, what, what can I do to be optimal? And this is exactly what I told her, what I'm telling yeah. you about now. See how we put your TRT in place. We check your gut. Now that's optimized. We check your adrenals. Everything's in place. So at that point, if you're bulking, I would recommend to go on growth hormone, right? One or two I, females. If you're bulking, I would, I would venture, I would start with two IUs, maybe probably runner up to three. Yeah. That's a female. Uh, that's pushing the envelope from a female standpoint, because I'm a big believer that a man can see really good results of five. A female yep. should be able to see some really good results of three. Now you group that with insulin and we took, take the glucometer approach to really see what three IUs or four IUs or five IUs of, of Humalog is going to do for you pre-workout and post-workout to really dial it in based on your, your responsiveness to, um, to insulin resistance, right? You're, what, what, what are, where are you starting off of and where do we need to get you to 70 or 75 somewhere? Right. Near? Can you imagine the results that, that, that female is going to get if we're able to do 10 weeks Oh, I've seen it. It's an incredible results, and and their health and their blood work is perfect because there's no toxicity the entire time, and they're seeing results like they've never seen. You want to grow some glutes? Throw in some HGH, IGF, and insulin on your glute days, and you'll see results that you've never seen before. And this is another thing: wellness girls. Wellness girls are making the biggest mistake blasting androgens because guess what? Every girl who wants to do wellness needs to grow their lower body, but androgen receptors are typically mainly in the upper body. So the more androgens a woman takes, guess what? She's just growing her upper body more. That's why that's the telltale sign that women are on drugs is when they have these basketball looking shoulders. That's androgens. That ain't natural. Give me a fucking break. Yeah. Um, so by blasting more androgens, you're just going to keep pushing the imbalance that's going to make you worse off in the division wellness needs to be you know tight and and petite in the upper body with a really big lower body 
So if we're prioritizing half of the body, we need to use specialized protocols to just grow half of the body. And can, androgenic hormones are not going to do that. You can add IGF deaths. Exactly. IGF, HGH, uh, even MK677, just on lower body training days with some insulin. These are tactics that intelligent coaches are doing that I honestly don't think 90% of the population even knows about because they think that only Mr. Olympia should be doing these types of things. Right. And what they don't understand is the 10 milligrams of Anabar a day that they take is actually worse on their body than doing this. Yeah, I'm a big fan of MK677. We, we sell the superstorms and people would just eat that up because for the money, you can for the money, you can't you, beat it. You can't beat it. Not for the money. Uh, it's it's a poor man's HGH. It's that's, a poor that's, man's that's, HGH. And <laughs> all the research I've done, I don't know if you've seen this wrong, but in the research I've done, the the IGF benefits from MK six seven seven declines after about four weeks. So you're better off taking a break and then doing it again. So basically, doing four week cycles, if you will. Yeah, have I, you seen that? I, I've read. Um, preliminary studies. I don't know if they're actually completed, but the, the study that I read, and I, I still have it somewhere in my computer. It talked a little bit about a, a 20% drop in IGF levels when yeah. running four to six weeks. So yeah. I, I'm, I want to be careful when I say this because I, you know, you say it and people take it like, yeah, out of context. <laughs> out of yeah. context. I'm, if you're going to be running MK, really run MK. <laughs> like, yeah. Like go all in. If you're there, if you're in, go all in. Don't yeah. pussyfoot around. Like I'm gonna do two milligrams, bro. Or <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna do it, do it. Like yeah. run it full blast. Run yep. it four weeks, five weeks. Get off of it. Yep. Wait until I I what I tell my my clients is if you're running for six weeks, get off of it for six weeks. Do it again. Sure. That, that's I, what I do. Yeah. But I'm bridging it. I'm bridging it. Meaning, uh -huh. I'm not just taking you off of it. I may switch compounds. Like sure. I, may, I may do SR nine 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 zero one one, or mm -hmm. I may actually say, okay, we're gonna up your liposomal epicatechin. I'm a big fan of 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 of, um, of epicatechin, and you do a bridge with other supplements to maintain the fullness to maintain until you hit it again. What you will notice in what I, in, I don't know, Matt, maybe you can share what you what I've noticed is that when you get off of MK you flush some of that water and people are like wow that's when the wow factor comes into play because once you get that water out you're like oh my gosh i actually can see bigger muscles now that's that's assuming that your food is in place that's the benefits of it i'm a big fan of mk677 we have you and i we both have access to pharmaceutical yep. <laughs> pharmaceutical agh i mean i can yeah I can have access to it but i don't use it because it's so expensive yeah, I mean, so expensive. And there's other ways that you can actually increase that IGF level. But uh, I'm a big fan of MK. I mean, we can get it through the clinic if you want a pharmaceutical MK677, or you can get it through Amino Pure Labs as well. I mean, it's, it's up to your pocket and how much you want to spend. But right. I'm a big fan. So uh, I'm glad that you brought that up because if, for people that don't want to use HGH, they can use MK. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they, you know, them and their coach understand the slight, the, the, the intricate, the, the, the differences between that and RHGH or other secretagogues and, and understand that time frame that realistically after that five week mark, you're probably driving insulin resistance without the added benefit of right. the IGF spike. So at that point, 
just come off and switch to something else. That doesn't mean come off everything. That just means come off the thing that's no longer providing you the same benefit anymore. One of the things that I have, uh, one of our, one of our, one of our athletes, and I put that person on, uh, this is a while back. They did the MK677 before I launched SuperSarms, which our SuperSarms is 30 milligrams per milliliter mm-hmm. on, of MK, which is a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a heavy, heavy dose. So I'm not telling you to use it. I'm not telling you to run 30 milligrams. Okay. I'm just saying and you can take half of the half of the dropper in your yeah. which 15 is actually a nice dose for females. So we're talking yeah. about females. Uh, probably more than what you want. I mean, even 10 is probably good for a female. But what I was telling them is it's less experiment. And he was running MK with IGFLR3 and he ran oh. it for 10 weeks and he was still getting like yeah. he, he wasn't seeing a down regulation of insulin or any insulin resistance at all. As a matter of fact, he's like, Hey, if it ain't broke, I'm going to write this out. And he kept, yeah. he kept, he kept on with it. And what I noticed was some, some of the, some of the uh, client, um, some of the, the, uh, our followers that were using MK, they did see a fallout after five to six weeks. So yeah, they're just not getting that same bump. Yeah, it's not. So I, I agree. If you're going to be running it, you can run it with an IGFLR3. You, and, and, and it's not the same as running it with IGF DES. IGF DES right. is spot 30 minutes. Uh, I Some of the girls that I talk to are doing it more on their glutes because I, every girl wants a big booty, right? Of course. Um, so, you know, and, and there's a process to a protocol for that as well. But yep. it, it's there's there's different ways to skin a cat is what I'm talking about. Yep. And there's way safer methodology or methods of running some of these protocols keeping right. you safe keeping you safe primarily for females and I, I males as well don't get me wrong but i think it's more ideal for females because the female body as you can see through some of the consoles you're doing some of the consoles that i do to rejuvenate um it's such a complex their their bodies are so complex yes right? and it's it, it takes more work to dial a female in than dialing a man uh, a male that it, it because there's so many factors that come into play right yeah. so why are you going to tax your body and, and, and literally tax it more you running some peds when you could actually get better benefits from the most anabolic hormone in the world in your body which is insulin well like i said i i think the biggest issue is that everyone has just been you know um taught the, the wrong information. If you were to ask most women what the best starting protocol or the best starting PD is, they're going to say anabolic. <laughs> yeah. And then you're going to ask why. And they're like, well, cause it's a pill. So it's less advanced. And it's a safer. So, so the administration decides how advanced it is. That that's, that's what decides advancement. You know, let's think about this. Let, let's go on a slight tangent off topic and let's just compare androgen loads. So the, the common, the, the baseline TRT dosage for a woman that we typically do at the clinic is five milligrams a week. Five milligrams of testosterone a week is the typical baseline dose. Now let's look at anabolic. The typical dosage for women is 10 milligrams a week, although I know a lot of women who take far more than that. So t- 10 milligrams a day, seven days a week, that's 70 milligrams a week. Okay, five milligrams a week a test, 70 milligrams a week of anabar. Now let's talk about what really causes side effects because we're done with the bullshit about how this drug is for women, this drug is for men. That's not true. None of that is even remotely true. There's two things that lead to side effects in women, androgen load and duration of use. That's it. 
So let's talk about androgen loads. Five milligrams of test, 70 milligrams of Anivar. Which one has a higher androgen load per week? Okay, I think we're done with this dispute yeah. about which is safer for women. Right. And then when we talk about HGH and insulin, zero androgen load. So now we, we've, we've supported all the growth factors, testosterone, HGH, insulin, and their androgen load is at a bare minimum. And you're going to grow. And you're going to grow or you're going to cut whatever, whatever, whatever route you go, yeah. you're going to maximize the efficacy. And, I, and that's the thing, you know, outside of the fast, uh, the, the fasted cardio protocol, even just in deploying microdoses of Humalog throughout the day can support fat loss because it's supporting nutrient partitioning. And we also know that insulin combats cortisol. So by taking insulin throughout the day, you're actually going to put your body in more of a parasympathetic state, calming it down. So you're reducing cortisol throughout the day. You're enhancing nutrient partitioning. We know that insulin has a positive effect on metabolic uh, rate and capacity. So you're speeding up your metabolism. Um, there, there's just so many benefits. And especially if you're just utilizing it post-workout, you're going to bring your, your, your blood sugar down to utilize that post-workout meal. And you're going to calm your body down by making it more uh, parasympathetic and allowing you to rest and recover faster. There are so many benefits of utilizing insulin in the right setting. The trick is having the right knowledgeable coach to program it and being coachable to listen to the doses. That's the key though, being coachable. I, I, like I said, I'm taking this, this new client on and I said, look, the key is going to be primarily to be very, stop listening to what others are going to tell you because whatever they're going to tell you, we're not going to do. We're going to yep. do this, right? And even before we start, I want to make sure that we do a functional panel. I want to make sure we optimize all the little things because, you know, Brandon DeCruz said it, a, a, a healthy body is a responsive body. That's it. Right? So we want to make sure that we're running great labs to get great results. Yep. We don't know what we don't know. And one of the things that we notice, even when we take some patients, some clients from other coaches that are very well-known functional coaches, people that, you know, thrive this, call them the, the gurus. And we're taking them on. It's like, well, yeah, they fixed your SIBO, but they were guessing because, you know, you can tell me your symptoms and I can tell you, you probably have SIBO too, you know, right. and, 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 and I'm not that smart, but I can mm -hmm. tell you based on what you're telling me that you have SIBO or you have some issues where yeah. the problem is, how do you know that you don't have another SIBO or that you don't have candida? Yeah. You know, you're, you're operating blind. So yeah, they yep. your one SIBO, but then like three months later, you're back to square one because you didn't fix everything else. That's so right. if you're going to do something and this, we're going to close with this guys, whatever it is in life, do it right and do it all the way. Don't That's push right. the foot. Don't do half-ass. We don't do half-ass at the clinic. We don't do half-ass with coaching. We don't do half-ass. If you are going to, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on even a, a step further. If you're cheap or don't have the money, you're probably not going to get the best results because some of these tests are expensive. And, and you know, man, we don't put a lot of margin on, on these tests at all. No, it, we're barely it, making anything off the tests. Nothing. I mean, nothing. It, it's basically a service that we're doing because we want to optimize. The, it, when people come, it's like, it's a lot of, 
I mean, yeah, and it's, it's up to you whether you want to do it. But I mean, I'm not going to guess whether you have one or two or three SIBOs or, or whether you have Candida or Pylori. We can tell you, but I mean, you're not going to get optimal results because we're guessing at that point. We don't want to guess. We want to get you optimal. So it is going to take a little bit of work. It's going to take a little bit of testing, but the benefits are you're going to be optimal to run some of these protocols and you're going to get the best results. And that's really what we're about, results. All right, my brother. What a fantastic podcast today. I hope that a lot of people that have been asking for it take the benefits of this. Any closing statements? No, that's about it. You know, keep in mind, I, I know we we sort of downplayed the risks of insulin, but of course we we are educated in that application. So, you know, keep in mind everything with context that you do want to be educated in your approach and and trust who is ever programming it. You know, that, that is a big part of it. The, the two things, again, that, that lead to complications is poor programming and user error. So make sure you check off both of those boxes as no's uh, before you go into uh, any type of insulin applications. Uh, do plenty of your research. And if you guys do have questions about insulin, uh, feel free to reach out to me or Ron. Yep. Uh, so in closing, Matt is our clinical director for Rejuvenated HRT, our clinic, uh, and we're doing a fantastic job of really fixing people. Uh, we're taking clients from other coaches, unfortunately, not because we want to take them, but because they're coming to us with some very severe issues, gut issues, HPA access issues, uh, and we're, that's, what, that's what we do. We're trying to fix people as many as we can. So if you have any questions, Matt at RejuvenatedHRT.com, Ron at RejuvenatedHRT.com. Any questions with regards to hormone therapy, you can DM us at rejuvenated underscore HRT on Instagram. And any other questions you guys for coaching, Matt is a fantastic wealth of knowledge and we'll be able to coach you accordingly. So with that being said, guys, thank you for your patronage. Thank you for everything you do to support Harfax Fitness, Team Amino Pure Labs, Team Amino Pure and Amino Pure Labs and the clinic where we're really in, 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 